Welcome to the Fish House Nation podcast presented by Catch Cover, your home for ice fishing news, tips, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Chris Larson. Hello and welcome to the Fish House Nation podcast. As always, I'm joined by Blake Tollison. I'm Chris Larson. And we're going to be talking some open water stuff again today, but we're going to be talking about a fish that's near and dear to Midwesterners' hearts. And our most of our listeners are in Minnesota and some in Wisconsin, Dakotas as well, and really all over the place. But that's kind of where the majority of them are. But, uh, you know, the place where a lot of people think of when they think walleyes is Lake Erie. And a uh, pretty interesting study coming out of Lake Erie, out of those waters anyway, from Ohio, the uh, Ohio State University. Uh, Blake, uh, what did you see when, you, when we were taking a look at this? This was in an article on the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette is where we found the story. But uh, what did you think here? Yeah, I thought, thought it was a very, very interesting study. So basically, you know, what this research team did was try to, you know, make some correlation between color and, and walleyes and, you know, what what colors can they see in kind of the, the best, you know, in, in the these different conditions, I guess. So they looked at, you know, clear water types. They looked at, you know, when the, the water has a lot of sediment, which is pretty common on Lake Erie. Um, and then they looked at when there's like al- algal blooms and stuff like that. So uh, basically kind of what they found was in those clear water times, uh, white or basically any color was kind of the most preferred for walleyes. Uh, when there was a lot of sediment in the water, it seemed like the yellows and golds performed best. And then when they had those those algae blooms, that was when black was the best. Yeah, so pretty kind of stuff that I think a lot of people that are, you know, have been out fishing a lot probably kind of knew that. But yep. it's it's fun to see a scientific study behind it that went out and did this. And they, they did lab tests. And then they also uh, created an app basically for charter captains to put this data in while they were out fishing um, kind of some interesting stuff in there as well. Just talking about, you know, how much uh, kind of their, their visuals diminished in, you know, they, they were saying, you know, they could see 40% less essentially when there was an algal bloom and they were showing, um, you know, that the range of sight obviously is a lot less when you have sediments and you had to put that lure kind of closer into their face um, one of the things that they talked about in the study is that, um, you know, a lot of fish will use lateral lines. They're using vibration. They're using a lot of things to key in on their prey. And walleyes are are more sight-oriented. Um, not to say that they don't use those things and they're not using vibration because obviously uh, a lot of people believe in that and use it when they're targeting walleyes. But, uh, you know, Basically, the studies showed that that the visual element was more important with walleyes, and I think that's something that you know we see a lot of videos in the summertime on YouTube, guys out at night, and that's what they're saying is that you know in those low light conditions, walleye see a lot better than their prey does. Yeah, I thought that was super interesting. I mean, obviously, you think of walleyes, you think of their eyes, but I didn't realize it played that much of a of a role compared to things like scent and, and lateral line or, you know, vibration, stuff like that. So that was really interesting to read. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting was how they kind of did their study. So they, basically what the article said is they did six trips in clear water, six trips when it was like stained or there was sediment in the water and then three trips 
when there was like an algebra bloom or something. And basically they had four people in every boat and all those people were using different colors. So then they were just kind of logging, um, you know, which lure was taken, I guess, based on those conditions. Yeah, so they went out and tested a lot. Of, and that's kind of the cool thing about Lake Erie. I don't know if you've been out there fishing, but, you know, there's so many different ways to catch walleyes on Lake Erie. And um, I fished in the eastern basin as well where, I mean, we were fishing in 80 feet of water and the fish were suspended 60 feet down. So they're 20 feet off the bottom and 80 feet of water. And I think the way that we typically fish them in the upper Midwest you know, if you told people that's how you're fishing walleyes, they'd be like, you're crazy. That's that's not where walleyes <laughs> live. But uh, Lake right. Erie is just a different animal in how it sets up. But then if you're in that western basin, you can go out and catch fish in that deep water. But it, I would say the western basin fishery is a little more similar to how we would catch fish in that um, it's more structure oriented. It's it's in typically in shallower water, um, but they, they definitely suspend. But not not over 80 feet of water like you see in the eastern basin but there's so many even in the eastern basin you go in that erie pennsylvania area um, a lot of guys are closer into the shallows in that area when they're fishing them so a lot of different situations to catch walleyes on lake erie and and lake erie also is just uh you know minnesota we like to say that it's it's the uh, walleye capital of the world but uh there's a lot more walleyes in Lake Erie than there are in Minnesota. That's all I can tell you. Yeah, it's a totally different animal. I've never been out there, but it's definitely definitely on the list to get out there at some point because just the sheer number and size is impressive. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun, and if you haven't done it, uh, definitely recommend going out there. Obviously, you know you can get to the Port Clinton area, and I mean it's like ten hours basically from the Twin Cities, so it's not a not a hard drive to get there, and. Uh, that western basin seems to be always good. Sometimes you get on the eastern basin if the timing isn't right or the winds aren't right, uh, the fish won't quite be there. But uh, if you're looking for a place to go catch some awesome walleyes and uh, you kind of just want to do something different than what you do uh, in the home state, it's fun to get out there. And, you know, guys are doing a lot of trolling out there. It's pretty effective. And there's a lot of walleyes out there. They say the good old days are today. Yeah, that's good. So, uh, speaking of a lot of fish, Illinois has a fish problem, and it's uh, not a cool walleye. It is, uh, well, what we've been calling Asian carp for a long time. I'm sure we're talking about YouTube videos, you know, those videos of those flying fish flying up into the into the boats, and um, you know, pretty interesting to see. But there's a problem with it, and Illinois is really the battleground state for carp getting into the Great Lakes. They want to keep these Asian carp out of there for good reason. They're filter feeders and they uh, really, really do some damage to the fishery. And there's really, you know, to this point, not a lot that we can do with those fish, but Illinois is trying to rebrand them and trying to make this a fish that people are going to want to eat because putting Asian carp on a menu doesn't sound super exciting. <laughs> they are rebranding this fish, and they're going to call it a kopi. What say you, yeah. Blake Tolleston? I think it's a it's a really good strategy. Um, it's the, in the article they mentioned that you know a couple other times when they they've used similar techniques, you know, trying to change the name. Um, and one I thought was interesting was the Chilean sea bass, which is one that you do see um, from time to time on menus. Mm -hmm. and it was once known as the Patagonian toothfish. So. 
I can see how, you know, changing the name. I mean, you see carp on a menu, doesn't sound appetizing. You see this fish called Kobe. Well, you don't really know what it is. You know, it's, <clears throat> it's a, it's a good strategy and, I, and hopefully it pays off because obviously we know Asian carp are a problem, especially like you said, in Illinois, and we've all seen the videos of these fish jumping out of the water. Um, and really it's kind of Illinois task for, for keeping these fish from getting to the great lakes. They are, like you said, the last line of defense between these river systems and the great lakes. Um, I have actually had the opportunity to eat Asian carp in the past and it was very, very good. I, I would definitely eat it again if I saw it on a menu or something. Uh, it was, I was part of the American fishery society back in the early days of my career. I worked in the environmental field and went to this, this fisheries meeting basically. And they had some famous chef there who was preparing Asian carp and it was absolutely fantastic. Like if you get the opportunity to eat it, I would definitely, definitely recommend it. Yeah, the Illinois DNR uh, says that they've served it, you know, at the state fair and in a couple of restaurants. They've tried it as a test, and they said that it looks great on a plate. It tastes good. Everybody seems to enjoy it. And what they're just trying to do is increase that commercial fishery so that, you know, people that the fish has demand. If it has demand, then that fishery will grow and people will get more aggressive in going out. Uh, the commercial fishermen and going out and targeting these fish. Now. Yep. A little bit of background, um, Asian carp, what we call, um, basically there is an umbrella term for four different species of carp. You've got the silver carp, which are the ones that you see jumping. You've got the big head carp, the grass carp, and the black carp. I've never seen the black carp before. Um, the other ones I have, I do a fair bit of bow fishing, and uh, they're, they're fun to shoot at. All of them are. Uh, I actually have eaten grass carp before, and that's that's pretty good. Um, like you said, and that's something that when you're out bow fishing and you see those, you typically, you know, you want to take a couple shots. Um, the common carp is kind of one that I think when people think of carp, that's what they think of. And, yep. you know, I've, I've eaten that as well. And that is, you know, in my opinion, I've seen people try a lot of different things to make it taste good. And I know there are people who do like it. I am not one of them. <laughs> no matter how I've, I've tried it, it hasn't been good. So, uh, but the grass carp is good, and then I've I've heard a lot of good stories about the other things. And when we think of those common carp and the suckers and the, the rough fish that we typically see in our neck of the woods, those are bottom-feeding fish, whereas these carp are more top-feeding. They're, they're kind of filter feeders, so they're going to be more, you know, the things that they're eating are probably more typical of what you would see like bluegills eat. And I think that's right. kind of what, what gives them the flavor that they have. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. There was somebody they talked to in this um, article. They did a blind taste test with like bluegill, bass, and crappie. And you know, most of this person's friends actually chose the the kopi or the Asian carp over those other species. So I thought that was really interesting and surprising. Yeah. You know, I, I see a lot of commercial uh, fishing operations up in this neck of the woods on the Mississippi, and they're they're going after, you know, I think they're basically harving, harvesting mostly common carp. I think they're using a lot of that stuff as, uh, you know, like dog food and stuff like that. But uh, right. to be able to harvest this and use it for human consumption, I think, would be really, really good. Uh, the Illinois DNR estimates that uh, they could they could process 50 million pounds of kopi just from the Illinois River every year. So there's, you know, there's obviously other waterways that, that they could be targeting these as well. So 
hopefully this is something, and again, we, we talked about it early on, that this is something that Illinois is doing and whether or not other places pick up on it um, could, could mean the difference between making this something that uh, is very successful to maybe somewhat successful. I mean, I think they're, I mean, the reality is, you know, especially in the day and age we live in, uh, food is becoming more and more expensive. And if we can find something like this that uh, people enjoy and is good tasting and uh, people can get over the fact that they're eating carp, you know, it's it's good to add another food source, especially a food source that we are trying very desperately to, uh, you know, control and keep out of some of our other waterways. Right. Yeah, It's. I think it's a great plan. <clears throat> I mean, there's, you know, some rivers where basically 70% of the biomass is just these Asian carp. So, and if you have any familiarity with Asian carp, basically what they do is they tend to, <clears throat> um, or they have the ability to basically to take over almost all the biomass in some of these rivers, streams, lakes. And so that's why people are so concerned about them making it to the Great Lakes. Um, they just have this, this ability where they feed very heavily and they can t use up a lot of those resources that other fish depend on. So it's, it would definitely be a good, good thing if we can find a way to utilize these fish. Um, it's, it's not one of those things that you can use as kind of a sport fishery. I mean, they're, right. you know, the, these carp, like you mentioned, they're top feeders. So they're eating like small things like, like little microscopic organisms. They're kind of filter feeding a lot of this stuff. Um, <clears throat> so you can't really catch them via hook and line very easily. So that, that kind of takes that part out of the equation where if you add that commercial fishing to the equation, it will help kind of reduce these numbers. Yeah, they're, they're tough to go out and catch. They're super tough to shoot because they're they're fast. Uh, yep. if you're going to shoot them with a bow. Um, like you said, though, this is not the first time this has been done. You talked about uh, Chilean sea bass and how they used to be called uh, Patagonian toothfish. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, Patagonian toothfish. You know, today with, with Patagonia being such a uh, popular clothing brand, I would think that that's actually probably a pretty good name <laughs> these days. It might um, be, yeah. Yeah, but I, I saw uh, Orange Ruffy used to be known as Slimehead. No one wants to go to a restaurant and order Slimehead. So, um, no, or Peaky Till Crab was once the Mud Crab. Right. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it sounds at least a little bit more appetizing. Yeah, but nobody wants to eat something that lives in mud either. So that's no. a that's a kind of a, a good good deal there too. But uh, Sneaky Toad Crab though kind of makes it sound like maybe he would be. Uh, on like scooby-doo or something he's sneaking around <laughs> who knows T tough to catch but uh hopefully this is something that is successful hopefully it's something that catches on and again you know it'll be interesting to see what what uh, people can do with it as far as food and and uh again i, I have never eaten silver carp or or big head uh, maybe they're great hopefully they are and this is something because one thing we don't want is uh, these things getting into the Great Lakes. So right. yep. uh, hopefully this is a successful campaign. And if you're ever in a restaurant in Illinois and you see Kopi on the menu, give it a try. Absolutely. All right. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us this week. For Blake, I'm Chris. We will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Fish House Nation podcast presented by Catch Cover. For more ice fishing content, visit our blog at catchcover.com.